Good morning, church. It's good to see you all this morning uh, as we celebrate the Palm, Palm Sunday, or also known as the Triumphal Entry of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, our uh, scripture reading for today is in Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 to 15, and it is in page 613 in our Pew Bible. 613. This is what the Bible says. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy. For eye to eye, they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has, com- for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the, eyes of the, before, the of all, before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart. Go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, of her. purify yourselves. Uh, you who hear the, hear the vessels of the Lord, for you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. And the God of Israel will be your rare guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, he shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall, the sprinkle, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them, they see, and that which they have not heard, they understand. This is the word of God. Palm Sunday. This is the beginning of Holy Holy Week. If you're watching or if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, Christians traditionally celebrate what we call Holy Week or Passion Week. It's that last week of Jesus's life before the cross. So um, Palm Sunday and then leading us to Good Friday when Jesus was crucified and then obviously Easter Sunday when Jesus Christ was risen. And so Palm Sunday is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it describes this amazing scene of Jesus riding into into Jerusalem on a donkey as the people cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna just simply means save us. It's the same root word as Jesus' name. They both, they both come from the same word. So you can literally translate it as Jesus us. <laughs> save us. Jesus, the Savior, save us. That's what they're crying out as he rides in. It's a very clear statement by Jesus Christ that I am your king. It's very Old Testament. 
In the Old Testament, when there was a new king, they put him on a donkey and they parade him around Jerusalem. When Solomon became the king, they put him on a donkey and they paraded him around Jerusalem. And everybody knew, this is David's son, that's the new king. David had lots of sons, remember? And this is the one, this is the guy. This is the guy that gets to be the king. We know that because he's the one on the donkey. Jesus came in and it was him saying, I am your king. And of course, they're thinking, great, no more Rome, (laughs) no more bondage. No more taxes. No more slavery. Save us from the empire. But is that really what Jesus had come to do? That's the question. How? How will Jesus save us? And in fact, the salvation that Jesus brought was not a political salvation but it was a salvation that was far, far better, wasn't it? A salvation that we can rejoice in. And so this morning, our sermon title is Rejoicing in Our Salvation. And we're going to look at this prophecy from Isaiah 52. We're going to walk through it, and we're going to see how Isaiah prophesied Palm Sunday 700 years before it happened. 700 years before it happened. So to do this, we got to do a little bit of work because Isaiah is not simple, right? We're talking about Old Testament prophecy, poetry, it's rough. So we're going to do a little bit of work uh, and kind of explain what's going on. So Isaiah is the author, he's the prophet, and he prophesied to the nation of Judah. Okay, so there was Israel. Israel divides into the northern tribes called Israel. Two southern tribes called Judah. So two, one nation divided into two. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Isaiah is a prophet to Judah in the south. When Isaiah prophesies, northern Israel is conquered by the evil, wicked Assyrians. Okay, so the north falls, they're conquered, they're done. Uh Uh-oh, are we next? Is Judah next? And so Isaiah's prophecy is, you're not gonna be defeated by the Assyrians, but you are gonna be defeated by the Babylonians. And that's coming, that's not gonna happen for another 150 years, but it's coming. So that's his prophecy. You will be conquered, not by the Assyrians, but by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians are going to take you into exile. And you're going to go there and you're going to be slaves. And, and you guys know the story if you've been to Sunday school once or twice. Or, or, or um, if you've read through your Bible or anything like that. Or if you don't know, I'll tell you. So the Babylonians came in and they conquered Judah. They conquered Jerusalem. They burned everything. They destroyed the temple of God. And they dragged off the best and the brightest, like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Remember those dudes, fiery furnace guys? And they, and they dragged them off and made slaves out of them. And it was terrible. And God lost. God got beat. God got beat by the Babylonians. Clearly, he's not the all-powerful God we thought he was. If his temple can be burned down... And Isaiah's prophecy is, nope, here's how you know God didn't lose. 
because he predicted his own defeat 150 years before it happened. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to let myself lose so that I can win. That's Isaiah's message. That's Isaiah's message, that God doesn't quit on us, that God doesn't give up, and that there's this servant figure who God is going to use to restore Judah. Now, before we dive into the prophecy, we have to understand that prophecy can be very tricky. Prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, can have a near fulfillment and it can have a far fulfillment. So it, it's, it's kind of like looking at this picture of mountains. You look at this picture of mountains and you say, wow, that, that, that's a really cool mountain range. But if we drove our car towards those mountains, and those mountains all look really close to each other, don't they? But if we drove our car towards those mountains, we would begin to realize, wow, there's actually dozens and dozens of miles between all of those mountaintops. In fact, that's actually two or three different mountain ranges. And that's how prophecy is. When you, when you just look at it, you're like, wow, that's, that's a cool prophecy. But no, it's actually two or three different la layers of prophecy. You with me? Okay, so we're going to walk through the passage twice. I'm going to show you the near, and then I'm going to show you the far. The near will be about Judah. The far will be about Jesus. Everybody with me? Okay, so near fulfillment, Judah. So make sure your Bible's open. I'm not putting the Isaiah verses on the screen. You're going to want your Bible open to track with me. Isaiah 52, verse 7. How beautiful among the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. You can see it in your mind's eye. Here comes the messenger. He's bringing the report, right? No cell phones back then. No satellites back then. If, if, if the king is out fighting a battle, how do we know he won? Because some, some poor guy had to run for 30, 40, 50 miles and deliver the message. We won. We won. Good news. Good news. We are victorious. Our king has won. And Isaiah saying, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. His feet are beautiful. Those are beautiful feet. They're torn to shreds because you've been running for four days straight. But those are beautiful feet. And he's publishing peace. Your God reigns. Your God wins. God wins. That's the gospel, the good news. This is the same word that in the New Testament we call the gospel. The good news of the kingdom of God, of God's victory. God will bring salvation to Judah. He won't forget you. He didn't lose to Babylon. He's going to win. Verse 8, the voice of your watchmen singing, sing for joy. The return of the Lord to Zion. You see, when the Babylonians came in, little temple history. So when, when the Israelites built the temple, the temple of Solomon, okay? So David, King David, King Solomon. King Solomon builds this beautiful temple, huge, beautiful. And the Bible says that when they dedicated that temple, whoosh, here comes the presence of God into the temple, like a pillar of smoke. Do you remember that? Whoosh. I'm going to do it one more time. I'll do it for you guys. Whoosh. God comes in, and he's in the temple. And then, when the Babylonians conquered and destroyed the temple, whoosh, the presence of God left. But here's what we know, class. 
when they rebuilt the temple, that's the book of Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah in your Bible, when they rebuilt the temple, God didn't whoosh back in. No whoosh. God didn't come back into that temple. But here's a prophecy that says God will return to Zion. God's glory will return to the temple, the return of the Lord to Jerusalem. Zion is Jerusalem, by the way. That's what they have to look forward to. Verse 9, break forth in singing. Break forth in singing. So God returns to Jerusalem and people sing. Hint, hint, what does that sound like? What would they sing? Maybe they would sing something like, Hosanna, save us, maybe. Verse 10, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. All the ends of the earth shall see. God's going to fight for you, Judah. He's not going to quit. He's going to fight. And here's what we know historically. The Babylonians are going to be conquered by the Persians. So the Babylonians come in, they conquer Judah, but then the Babylonians get conquered by the Persians. And what do the Persians do to the Jews? They set them free. That's King Cyrus. King Cyrus says, ah, you guys can go home. What? That's amazing. Only God could do something like that, right? That's God bearing his holy arm. He's fighting for them through the Persian Empire. And then look at verse 11 and 12. Depart, depart, go out from there. This is Exodus language. Touch no unclean thing. Go out, purify yourselves. Go in haste. Another Exodus is going to happen. Just like you left Egypt, you're going to leave Babylon. But look at the differences. Look at the differences. You won't go out in haste. Verse 12. You won't go out in flight. Do you remember the Exodus story? Have your bags packed. Be ready. Okay, here we go. Go! And they ran out of, Exodus, out of Egypt. And did they touch unclean things? Yeah. They grabbed everything they could on their way out. Jewelry, statues, they're grabbing it all, stuffing it in their pockets. And they're like, we're out of here. But when they leave Babylon, it's not going to be like that. You're going to go, no, nobody's chasing you. The Persians won't chase you. You're just going to, you're going to saunter out and you're not going to take their stuff. You're only going to carry the vessels of the Lord and God will go with you. He'll go before you and he'll go after you. Verse 13, and now we get to the servant. This is called a servant song. In Isaiah, he writes four poems about the servant, the servant songs, the servant will act wisely. God's going to use the servant to accomplish this salvation. And guys, this is where, this is where we stop and go, whoa, I was tracking with you so far, but who's this servant guy? Our Jewish friends would say the servant is the nation of Israel itself, or maybe even Isaiah. But let's keep reading. Because the way this servant is described is pretty strange. In verse 13, the servant is high and lifted up and exalted. He's a king. He's a crowned king. But in verse 14, what's happening to our servant? He's disfigured and marred and beaten and torn to shreds to the point where he doesn't even look like a human being anymore. 
This is one of the most confusing couple of verses in all the Bible. God has a servant who will be a king, but also a, a, a tortured king. Hmm. But also, verse 15, a king that will sprinkle many nations. What? Okay, more Old Testament. In the Old Testament, we're going to kill a lamb, and we're going to sprinkle the blood on people to purify them. We're going to sprinkle them. We're going to sprinkle you. I'm going to sprinkle you. And now you're clean. So and here we have this servant who will be a king, a tortured king, and that torturing will somehow lead to the cleansing of all of the nations. Man, if only we knew who this was. Far fulfillment. Jesus. Back to verse 7. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. The feet of him who brings good news. Here's how Jesus launched his ministry on earth. Jesus came into Galilee. Mark Mark chapter 1. Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. The gospel. Jesus is the beautiful feet. Jesus is the messenger. Look at verse 8 again. Isaiah 52 verse 8. Joy. Everybody's singing for joy as, as the Lord redeems Jerusalem and enters Jerusalem. That's Palm Sunday. Those who went ahead, those who followed Jesus were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. That's what Isaiah is talking about. When God comes in, he rides into Jerusalem and the people shout and they sing and we see it happening with Jesus Christ on Palm Sunday. The Lord has bared his holy arm, verse 10. All the nations of earth shall see the salvation of our God. How on earth will all the nations of earth see God's salvation through Jesus Christ? And the answer is the cross. The cross of Christ, this event where Jesus is crucified. And now, even today, we long for every nation to see the crucifixion of Christ. Verses 11 and 12, the Exodus. Depart, touch no unclean thing, escape. You're not being chased, just walk out. You're free, you're free. This is how Jesus described his own ministry. I'm inviting you to freedom. I'm inviting you to walk out of sin. I'm inviting you to walk out of slavery to sin. Verily, very truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. But if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. You see, Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus' whole life paralleled Moses' life, didn't it? As a child, Jesus went to Egypt and escaped Egypt later. Out of Egypt, I have called my son, was the prophecy. Just like, just like Moses went through the Red Sea, Jesus went through the waters of baptism. 
Just like Moses entered into the wilderness to be tempted, Jesus entered into the wilderness to be tempted. Just as Moses called down bread from heaven, Jesus multiplied the bread for the people and said, I am the bread of life. Everything Jesus did paralleled Moses. I'm the new Moses. Moses stood up on a mountain in front of the 12 tribes and enacted a covenant. Jesus stood up on a mountain in front of the 12 disciples and said, blessed is. I'm the new Moses, but I'm not freeing you from Egypt. I'm not freeing you from Babylon. I'm not freeing you from Rome. I'm freeing you from sin. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. But for Jesus to be able to do this, verse 13, he has to be the servant who acts wisely. He has to be the servant who is high and lifted up. He has to be the servant that is exalted. Was Jesus wise? That word can also be translated as successful. Did, was Jesus successful in his mission? Was Jesus wise? And because he was successful, did the Lord exalt him and lift him up and crown him? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us he did in Philippians 2. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is high and lifted up today. Do you believe that? Is he your king? Is he seated on the throne? Verse 14. His appearance was so marred, though. Did this happen to Jesus? Was he so marred beyond human semblance? Was his form beyond that of the children of mankind? This is obviously, clearly, with all due respect, to our, to our Jewish friends who, who just can't see this, with all due respect, this is clearly about the crucifixion of Christ. This is, it's written in the singular. His appearance was beyond that of a man, singular. This is about a single person who will be tortured to the point of not, when you look at him, you say, I don't even know if that's a person anymore. That's a piece of meat. That's what I'm looking at. And not just, and we're not even just talking about the crucifixion that Jesus endured physically. Crucifixion, psychologically, sociologically, was meant to make you look at the person as if they weren't a person. It was meant to steal your humanity from you. You are an animal. That's what crucifixion was. We wouldn't do this to a... It's so cruel, so vicious, so dehumanizing. We would never do this to somebody unless they were the worst of the worst of the worst. 
People who were crucified were always buried in an unmarked mass grave. Their names were, blot, were literally blotted out of the Roman record. They, ce- they literally ceased to exist in history. Can you name another crucified person by name? No. You know why? Because nobody knows their names. Their families would have been so ashamed of them that they would have never spoken their name ever again. And yet somehow this crucified guy has the name that is above every name. A name that everybody on the planet knows. They either know it as their savior or they know it as a curse word, but they know it. Jesus suffered for us. In John's gospel, it says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. It's a very simple phrase. But if we know our history, know that to be flogged, Jesus wasn't only crucified, he was also flogged, meaning he was beaten with a whip 39 times, 39 lashes. His flesh literally would have been torn to ribbons. Spat upon, punched, degraded. And they put him in a crown of thorns and a purple robe. And Pilate stood him up in front of the people and said, Behold the man. In other words, I know you can't tell this is a man, but look at him. This is the man. The man beyond human semblance. Jesus spoke of his own death this way. He said this, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And John records, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. To be lifted up in Jesus' mind did not mean lifted up onto the throne of heaven like a king. It meant lifted up on the cross. You see, Jesus' cross is his coronation. Jesus' cross is his throne, his crown of thorns, his purple robe. This is Jesus declaring to us, I am the king of humanity. I am the man. Look at me. So shall he sprinkle many nations, verse 15. See, Jesus' blood sprinkles us, doesn't it? This is why when we celebrate communion, we, we quote Jesus as saying, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. For what? For forgiveness of sins. How does blood forgive sins? Well, it has to be the blood of the substitute. Someone dying in your place, someone shedding blood in your place. When the lamb shed its blood in the place of the people, and the people were sprinkled with the blood, it it was symbolic of, now you're clean. Now you're forgiven. You have the blood on you. Jesus died, and his blood sprinkles us clean, doesn't it? The redemption and purification, not just of Israel, not just of Judah, but of the nations. What does all this mean? What does all this mean for us? I'm going to give you five applications 
We'll move quickly through them, but five applications of this for our hearts today as we rejoice. Five things we can rejoice in this morning. Number one, we can rejoice in the sovereign rule and reign of God. We can rejoice in the sovereign rule and reign of God. Verse 7, our God reigns. Your God reigns. You see, you see, Christian, the exile couldn't stop God. Babylon, what? Nebuchadnezzar? King Nebuchadnezzar? God's like, I'm pretty sure I turned him into an animal and made him eat grass for seven years. He's nothing. Exile? Burned temples? Do you think that stops me? I'm going to predict it. I'm going to let you know that it's going to happen to show you that I'm in charge. And then after exactly 70 years, I'm going to pull you out of there. And you're going to go back and you're going to rebuild the temple. And I'm going to prophesy all this through my watchmen, the prophets. Babylon is nothing. Crucifixion? Let's go, let's, let, okay, okay, let's go harder. Let's go harder. If that one doesn't convince you, let's go another step. Crucifixion? Death? <laughs> Death? <laughs> You think death can stop me? I'm God. I am life. I am death. I hold it all in my hand. I give it. I take it away. The breath, that, the, the breath of life that's in every human being is my own breath. <laughs> I breathe into nostrils and people are alive. I suck it out and they die. Death? You think death can beat me? Okay, Christian, honest question. If God is more powerful than an exile and more powerful than death, why do you think he's not more powerful than your problem? Are you going through something bigger than the exile? I doubt it. Are you going through something bigger than death? You might be going through death, right? But you have a God who reigns over death this morning. Your God reigns. Number two, number two, we can rejoice in our exodus from slavery to sin. We can rejoice. Verses 11 and 12. Depart, depart. Come on, let's go. <laughs> depart. Why are you still here? Get up. Move. Come on, let's go. Don't, you don't got to rush. Take your time. No one's chasing you. Not this time. No one's chasing you. It's okay. It's okay. Take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, no, don't grab that. Don't grab that. That's, that's impure. Leave that there. Leave it. Just get, the, just get the vessels of the Lord. Okay, I got you. Okay, there's the door. Let's go. Hold my hand. Come on. I think I can do it. That's a Christian life, isn't it? It's a slow, methodical jailbreak where no one's chasing us. Just leave it there. Just leave it there. Your greatest enemy is you. Right? But, but Jesus, I still need this money. No, no, you don't. No, you don't. Just leave it. Just leave it. But Jesus, Jesus, I, I, my status, my good looks, my power. No, just, just, just leave it there. Just leave it there. You're going to be okay. 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 I think I can do it. You can. Think about the first exodus. They sprinkled blood on the doorposts. Jesus' blood has been sprinkled on the doorposts of your heart, Christian. You are set free. No death. When the angel of death comes, there is no angel of death. I'm sorry I said that. When God comes, (laughs) Exodus doesn't say angel of death. It says God. When God comes, you will not die. Martha, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? I, I, I believe. Well, whoever believes in me shall not die. And then God walked them through the sea. Do you remember the sea? God split the Red Sea and they walked through. Remember? You've seen the movie, right? Charlton Heston. And they get over. And then what happens? The Egyptians get in there and what happens? Their slave masters, their slave masters get in there, and then what happens? Whoosh. <laughs> We're whooshing again. Whoosh. And they die. Listen, Christian, listen to me. Your slave masters are all dead. They have drowned in the sea. Okay? Stay with me. Track with me through the story. The Egyptians are all dead. They get into the wilderness. Do you remember? They get in the wilderness, and then what do they start saying? Let's go back to Egypt. At least in Egypt, we had cucumber sandwiches and Netflix and... Right? Christian, listen to me. The only person that can take you back to Egypt is you. Sin has, no, sin has no power over you. The only way you're going back to Egypt is if you choose in the freedom that Jesus has given you, in the freedom that he has provided through his life, in that same freedom, if you choose to run back for that stuff that Jesus is saying, no, no, just leave it, just leave it. When you run back to it, you can do that, but you're the only one making you do that. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't need it. Don't touch the unclean things. Hold my hand. Let's walk out of here. We're walking out of here very calm. Calm and slow. Let's walk out. Number three, let's rejoice in our holiness. Let's rejoice in our holiness. Verse 11. Depart, depart. Don't touch the unclean things. 
grab the vessels. What's the vessels? It's those cups and those bowls and the things that would be used in the temple. Just grab the temple stuff. That's all you need. Grab the temple stuff and head back. Okay, we did it. Let's go. Leave what's worthless behind. Come out from among them and be ye holy, says the Lord. Paul quotes that in 2 Corinthians 6. Don't be unequally yoked, but come out from among them and be ye separate. Be separate, says the Lord. Isaiah is not describing a chaotic dash out of Egypt like in Exodus. He's not, he's not describing terror. They're chasing us. He's describing a priestly procession. Israel, you're going to walk out of Babylon like a kingdom of priests. And you're going to walk back with, you don't need anything. You don't need anything that's, that's Persian. You don't need anything that's Babylonian. All you need is my stuff. And you're going to walk back and you're going to sing and you're going to shout and you're going to re-enter Jerusalem. Christian, we are a procession of priests. Touch no unclean thing, Christian. Purify yourself. Bear the holy vessels. You are a kingdom of priests, Peter calls us. Do you remember? You are a royal priesthood, a, a peculiar nation. Be holy as God is holy. What do priests do? What did the priests do? Well, they read the word of God, didn't they? Hey, priest, do you read the word of God? Do you know the word of God? Do you interpret the word of God? Do you teach the word of God? What do priests do? They make sacrifices, don't they? We don't make blood sacrifices anymore, but what do we do? We offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Romans 12. Our sacrifice of praise rises up to the Lord. Do you serve the Lord? Do you praise the Lord, priest? What do priests do? They hear the confession of the sinner, don't they? You're a priest. Christian, you're a priest. Last week, Mark preached it. James chapter 5. Confess your sins, therefore, to one another. Are you in a relationship with others where you hear and confess to each other? Like priests? What do priests do? They talk to God, don't they? They draw near to God in complete confidence, knowing that they are that they are um, that they, they're wearing the holy vestments, knowing that they are dressed for it, knowing that they got the blood on their earlobe and their thumb and their big toe. Read it; it's in the Bible. It's weird, but knowing that they're covered, they know they're covered, and so so they go into the holiest of holies, and they cry out to God. Do you do that? Do you do that, priest? What do priests do? They help others. Do you do that? You're a priest. Rejoice in your holiness, priest. Number four, rejoice in your shared suffering with Christ. That brings salvation. 14 and 15. He's a king, 13, he's a king, he's lifted up, he's exalted, but, but somehow he's a king who is 
who is tortured. He's a king who sacrifices. He's a king who sheds blood. He's a king who sacrifices. Because listen to me, Christian, this is the gospel. The gospel tells us, the good news tells us that there is no salvation without suffering. There is no resurrection without a cross, and there is no glory without sacrifice. This is your life. This is your life, Christian. The shared life of Christ is the cruciform life, a life where we say, yes, God will lift me up. God will exalt me. He will do that, but he does that through being marred, through being a sacrifice, through the giving of my life and the sprinkling of myself. That is what God is calling us to do. And so Paul will say this in 2 Corinthians to the Christians. He'll say, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Christian, is that your life? Is that how you see your life? That the death of Christ is at work in me so that it can be at work Life can be at work in others. What does that mean, Brady? What does that mean? It means that wherever I go, I am embracing the role of servant. I am embracing the role of sacrificer. I will get down if I have to. I will roll up my sleeves if I have to. I will serve. I will suffer as I serve. I'll give up my time. I'll give up my money. It'll be emotionally hard. It's going to be distressing at times. Have you ever ministered to somebody and it wasn't? No. No. But has anything good ever in human history come without sacrifice? No. No. It never has. That's what the gospel shows us. And that's what Jesus has done for us. He came to earth. He came and he gave up. He gave up his position in heaven and he came to earth. He became a person. Not only that, he became an enslaved person. Not only that, he died for us. Not only that, he died the death of the non-human. He died the death of the loser. He died the death of the criminal. He died the death of the animal. Why did Jesus die on a cross? Why did he have to die that way? Because that's the death we deserve. He didn't die a hero's death. He died a loser's death. And that's because I'm a loser. Apart from Jesus, I got nothing. Apart from Jesus, I'm just another rebel in the kingdom of God trying to overthrow my father king. But with Jesus... With Jesus, I have hope. With Jesus, I have sonship. With Jesus, I have forgiveness. And so, number five, rejoice as you bring the good news to the world. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Verse seven, we're back where we started. How beautiful are your feet, Grace Baptist Church. I'm looking forward to some beautiful feet on Saturday. Beautiful hands stuffing eggs, right? <laughs> beautiful feet bringing the good news to Bowie. Beautiful feet taking the good news into your cubicle, your workspace. Beautiful feet coaching those kids in t-ball. Beautiful feet 
playing with those kids on the mat over here in the, in the, in the kindergarten classroom. Beautiful feet during Grace Gives. Beautiful feet in your house sharing the good news of Jesus with your children. Beautiful feet in the nursing home singing songs and encouraging and reminding people that God loves them even in the darkest of days. Beautiful feet. God has done it. God has won. God is victorious. Beautiful feet. Jesus put it this way. Go. Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Go. Beautiful feet. Carry, you are the messenger carrying the good news of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Jesus, this morning we rejoice in our salvation. Hosanna. Blessed is he who came. Blessed is he who rode in on a donkey. Blessed is he who was arrested. Blessed is he who was tried and convicted falsely. Blessed is he who kept his mouth shut like a lamb led to slaughter. Blessed is he who gave his life on the cross, marred beyond human semblance. Blessed is he, blessed is he who arose. Blessed is he who conquered death, conquered sin, conquered the law. Blessed is he. Blessed is he who brings the good news. God, we want to be your blessed ones. We want to share it. We want to tell it. We want to proclaim it. To all we see, to all we meet, to those we love, to our enemies, to our neighbors, to our family that you, Jesus, are the King of kings and Lord of lords. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen.